0: I had been uh, thinking since a day or two ago that uh, tonight we would do something with the metta sutta together, and particularly I wanted, because uh, uh, metta has been uh, part of this retreat and we've been practicing it and learning about it, to talk about the the instruction from the Buddha about uh, benevolence practice. And I also wanted to talk about it as uh, uh, as wisdom practice. I wanted to talk about the wisdom of benevolence. And I really was uh, thinking at the end of the uh, inquiry this afternoon how uh, I had two reflections about it that fit exactly into where we're starting now, I think. One was that uh, there, the, the, there was a theme, uh, as Christopher pointed out, between the, the two inquiries, um, maybe to, to see if I can say it this way, that uh, one was about how do we uh, keep an unembittered heart in the face of uh, unembittered mind in the face of such a difficult world full of so many fearful problems at this point? And the other, you know, how do I regain or keep or ensure that I have a not-embittered heart when I have been so personally hurt and traumatized by something? I think it's actually, the, the we could all relate to it so well because each of us has... Uh, in varying degrees cognate experiences how can I have my mind uh, be at ease about that I'm choosing those words particularly because when we read this translation of the sutta it uh, will say may all beings be at ease which I think is a much uh, I I, I like it I think it's um, it's a more appealing translation for me than may all beings be happy May all beings be at ease. That a mind at ease around everything, including difficulties, is something that I think we all want. And that my experience, and I think probably yours as well, when uh, somebody offers the stuff of their own life to share in front of all of us, and... uh, with, with, with candor presents the, the, the struggle that they have in, he and she have in their lives. Uh, Just for a moment, uh, I have always a sense of each of us holding our piece of the struggle of the world, you know, that in a way I'm connected, we each of us have our own struggles and when someone is able to share their particular corner of struggle that they are holding, I feel accompanied in my corner of struggle. Does that make sense to you? Um, And being interested in someone else's struggle, in fact, the wisdom of benevolence I was thinking about, uh, that a piece of it is being... um, the ability to be interested in someone else's difficulty lifts me out of mine. Um, I was remembering, just as I sat here before we began, um, it must have been last summer, because last summer was the last hurricane season in Florida. I had a phone call. I came home and had um, a message uh, on my answering machine from my friend Tamara, who lives in Florida, and I uh, said, you know, Sylvia, this is Tamara. I'm calling to tell you that you don't need to worry about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I thought, ah, oh, praise be, two weeks before, Tamara had been tentatively diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And there had been a series of tests and biopsies and slides sent up to Sloan Kettering and back, and I'd known about all that. And he has a phone call that said, you don't have to worry about me. I thought, ah, they found out she doesn't have it. And then, but two seconds later, she continues on her message. You don't have to worry about me. Even though Hurricane Rita is coming directly towards where I live, I have friends who live further inland in a house with less glass who have come to fetch me and they're going to keep me with them until the storm passes. Tomorrow was at that point, alone, her partner was away, and she doesn't drive. She so says, so you, don't, you won't hear from me all weekend, don't call. Uh, when the storm has passed, I'll be in touch with you. So all weekend long, I uh, watched the Weather Channel. And uh, I've never watched the Weather Channel for a whole weekend, <laughs> but uh, as it was a tremendous big storm. And um, so I watched, I actually became quite familiar with all the... Um, um, journalists on the weather channel because they come on and now we'll have so and so and so and so and they stand out in the rain and in the, the wind you know I think they could go inside and say outside it's raining <laughs> but it's dramatic to stand in the middle of the storm so they stand there clutching their windbreaker and holding the microphone and the wind and the, uh, the rain is swirling around and I'm watching them, and I become you know quite impressed with them. And they, as I start to know them, and they're familiar to me. And they give the reports of the storm. And and at one point, here's a you know beautiful young woman, clutching her jacket <laughs> and giving the report of the storm, and it's blowing. And a big piece of debris, apparently a piece of uh, roof tile, must have flown right by her, because you see the tile fly there, and you see her move to the side in a hurry, so it didn't hit her went past her and she ducked out of the range of the camera for a while, for a moment and then she stands back up and she continues and i think i wonder if her mother is watching you begin to feel even about strangers that you care about them that they should come through this so and then after the weekend then the storm came by and the end you know, the eye of the storm and i could see it on television and sometime after the weekend uh, when the storm had passed and Tamara called, she uh, called to report and we talked about it. And she said it was really something. She said, you know, the eye of the storm went right over this town where they were staying. She said uh, we were, and the, the, eye, the eye wall of the storm, she said, came through about one o'clock in the morning and all of us were huddled in the living room in our pajamas and wrapped in a blanket, she said, it was so loud, it rumbled, it was like a, a freight train running through the house. She said, so we huddled together in the living room and we prayed for everybody out there in the storm and everybody around us. And she said, uh, and I, I said to her afterwards, how were you? She said, you know, as long as we were together and thinking about everybody else out there in the storm, I was okay. She said, I wasn't frightened. There was something about it, she said, something about being in touch with all those other people in my mind out there. I told her about it. I said, you know, I had a moment where I thought maybe the news had come that you don't have ovarian cancer. She said, no, I have ovarian cancer. She said, I just didn't think about it during the weekend because it wasn't happening now. And now the hurricane was happening. She said, I, forgot. I didn't forget about it. I knew I had it. But that wasn't what was happening. What was happening is I felt okay because I was thinking about everybody else out there in the storm. So I, I, I offer that to you as a, a contemporary explanation of the Metta Sutta. I feel okay when I'm thinking of everybody else out there in the storm. Because, you know, if I want to make the storm into the metaphor for this life and everybody's particular hurricane that's going on for them that um, one way of not feeling alone in my storm is to really be thinking of everybody else out in the shared collective storm as a friend. I also thought that if I haven't told you this yet this week, I should tell you, I actually think maybe Christopher did this, that uh, a better translation of the word metta is the friend sermon. I think you did say that, Christopher. Did you say that? That that the word metta it comes from the same root word as friend. So it's really the friendliness sutta. I, I actually think we should call it the benevolence sutta or the blessing sutta. Be better than loving kindness, which is a, or even the love sutta if we want. But loving kindness is such a Victorian word and it always comes in old prayer books in terms of vouchsafe your loving-kindness and no one knows what vouchsafe is and and loving-kindness. Well, what is that exactly? It's really friendliness. It's the lack of ill-will. It's more actually than the lack of ill-will. The lack of ill-will is the lack of ill-will. And past that, out of the lack of ill-will... And clarity about everybody's walking around in a storm and in a hurricane. Out of that, the natural compassion of the heart manifesting itself. So may all beings be at ease. And in a minute, I'd like for us to read this uh, sermon together out loud. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little preamble to it and then we'll read it out loud. When I first read it, which is probably twenty so years ago, uh, and I was beginning my own meta practice, and uh, I read it as it as it is, as an injunction to maintain under all circumstances uh, a mind that's able to wish for all beings, may you be at ease. It seems to me that a uh, that maybe the one in incredibly important piece of it are the words omitting none all beings omitting none not almost all beings but really all beings because the difficulty that most of us have is with the almost you know because for the most part I think we're amiable animals and we really feel good about most people but here and there a person almost everybody I wish goodwill people will sometimes say but not here not there And to really uh, 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 develop the understanding that it's not for the benefit of the here or there or there person for whom I can't easily wish well that I'm trying to wish well, but it's for my benefit because my heart and my mind are constrained by any bit of reserve that I hold. That It's not an injunction to like everybody, It's not a conjunction to condone everybody or approve everybody. It's just an injunction to not have ill will and to wish seriously that all beings be at ease. So in 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 my very first brushes with it, I had actually um, what seems to me now to be not a very mature response to it, because I thought to it, I remember thinking it was a really a cavalier thought, maybe I should be embarrassed about it. I read it and I thought, well, it's so clear in the mandate, do it, but it doesn't say how. And I thought, well, you know, it's very nice to say do it, but you have to say how. But over the years I realized that it does say how. It really does say how. And I think that in uh, as I appreciate it more and more, this particular version of it, it really says how in a way that mirrors the whole of the path, uh, the whole of the Eightfold Path, the whole of the understanding of the three parts of the path, the path of moral development, the path of mental discipline, and the path of deepening wisdom. So I'd like us to read it together. And I, I'm, just, I, I'm going to add one more thing so we can do this together as, an, as a kind of a shared enterprise. After a while, I decided, well, it does say how, and there's one sentence that says how. It says what needs to happen so that you can do it. And I was so clear to me that it was that one sentence so I came to a group like you And I said let's read it together And then afterwards you'll tell me Which sentence is the key Sentence for how And then at the end of the reading I said okay which is it And maybe a Half a dozen or ten people Raised their hands And they told me a sentence And it wasn't my sentence It was another sentence And they had a perfectly good reason For why that was the instruction So I thought ah so then I went to another group and I told them the same preamble. I gave out the sutta. So let's read it together. At the end, tell me which is a sentence that really, really matters. And I'm thinking for sure they're going to say my sentence. Oh, another half a dozen people have different ideas. So when you read this together with me, figure out which is the operative sentence. <laughs> this is a question, not just do it, But what's the necessary ingredient for doing it? What's the clue? Okay. Let's read it together. Normally when you chant it, the the chant leader will say, now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. Now let's read it together. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness, and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, Let them not do the slightest thing of which would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So, what's the operative line? Go for it. By not holding to fixed views. views, Do you want to say one sentence about why? Because then anything is possible. Then anything is possible. Okay, who had another thought? Susan? So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So with a boundless heart. Should one cherish all living beings do you want to say why one sentence well um, when you open when you have a balanced heart when your heart is open then uh, there's a possibility that you can uh, cherish you want to cherish all the living beings not
1: letting anybody escape
0: so if your heart were boundless you would be able to cherish all living beings yeah one should sustain this recollection. Why do you think? That to me is what we're do- I'm doing with the metta. Reminding myself over, and over So I'm reminding myself over and over of the meta reflections. Okay. Um, wishing in gladness and safety may all beings be at ease. Wishing gladness and safety may all beings be at ease. Why is that the operative line? Wishing, sending it forth, continuing the intention. What else do you think? Go ahead. I agree with that same one, but because more it, it is actually telling you this is the action. This, what that is telling you this is the action? In gladness and safety, may all beings be at ease. In gladness and safety, may all beings be at ease. Be okay. What other ideas did you have? Of a blessing, but I also think the other line that was mentioned, uh, should one, I'm sorry, radiating kindness over the entire world is basically the theme of the mm. whole, um, of the whole page. Uh huh. Radiating kindness over the entire world is the theme of the whole page, Jim. I'd like to ask you a question. Uh huh. So real. Depression, for instance, the world can look in a particular way, and you tend to, uh, you know, I tend to judge people more. Is it reasonable or is it wise? How do you move into meta with that? I think I I do it, maybe done it too aggressively in terms of just making myself do it, and it always seems to backfire. Hmm. How do you do it? Well, we could talk a little bit more. I want to hear some more, but. You know, I think one, of the, one other interpretation for me, in addition to the one you said, of the fixed views of, um, is I think about when I am stuck about someone, or actually something, and embittered in response to them. Um, it's usually because my view at that point is limited and fixed. And if I can back up from it and include other things and see it in a bigger frame and not be attached to that particular view that is causing me to be stuck. It's a very important question. I just want to see if there's any more lines that jump out at people. I think even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child... that speaks to a relationship that we all have and that really is um, um, archetypal of doing anything for anyone. And Frank had one. I was going to say the same thing. Frank was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Um, the pure-hearted one having clarity. Of vision. The pure-hearted one having clarity. Once you have clarity of vision, meta would come easily because you would, I'm filling in, because you would see that it couldn't be other and this person couldn't be other. Yeah? This is the sublime attitudes. The sublime attitudes. In the highest consciousness. One more that I couldn't come up with one line and what I thought is that this is so comprehensive and so universal that if you can achieve almost any of the lines you can achieve being loving toward all beings Mm -hmm. so thank you very much Daphne that's a good place to end I just want to see who had another line didn't say it but who thought something else was there any line that we didn't cover that you thought those are the main... Okay. So, I, and actually, I think everybody... Uh, you know, there isn't a right line. One of the one that I... The, the, the operative one that I thought... If I think about what really makes it happen... I love all those lines, and I love all those explanations. I think that I have to feel safe and glad... And I need to do whatever it needs to hap- happen in order. I think for myself, the, 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 um, the, if, if I think about what will make it possible for me to have a boundless heart, what will make it possible for me to drop a big fixed view, what will make it possible for me to sustain the recollection, what will make it possible for me to wish, may all beings be at ease, I need to feel safe so that my mind is at ease and I am relaxed and I have the widest understanding. Somebody over here just said, you know, if I have a wide understanding, I'll remember that everything is just the way it is because it couldn't be otherwise and that there's no one to forgive, no one to resent. There is difficulty and there is pain, but there is, in response to it, compassion when you realize there are no villains. But I have to feel safe not to have villains. I never did tell you the story about my grandfather's practice, did I? With Since this is the Metta and Blessing Week, I'll tell it to you now, and then we'll go through the sutra line by line. Glad, by the way, is one step past no villains. No villains is the mind for me completely relaxed because it doesn't need to be on guard. When the mind is on guard, it looks around. It's not only not frightened, but I think it's gladdened by the amazingness of being in a life that I really can't appreciate it very much when I'm frightened, but when I'm at ease. We all talked about it in, individually and in, in, in groups and in, in one-to-ones all this week that you walk around and all of a sudden something happens. The deer goes by or the moon comes up or something happens. And when the mind is resting, it says, wow, the moon is coming up. Wow, look at that deer. It picks itself up. And in that moment, it relates itself to the whole world. So I'll tell you my grandfather's practice because it comes up about uh, in in one of these lines here about... Um, Not wishing, not through anger or ill will, wishing harm upon another. I like to honor him with this. Um, My grandfather uh, never mentioned a person's name without saying one of two um, (coughs) phrases after the name. He would say, uh, my daughter Gladys, may she rest in peace had a more relaxed nature than my daughter Miriam may she live and be well so uh, it didn't always have to be a comparison she, he could have said uh, my, son, my grandson Henry may he live and be well is a very good cook um, he said uh, my wife Ida may she live and be well has become so cranky um, <laughs> since after she passed 90 years old, that I can't live with her. So that's why I came to live with you. Um, (laughs) That's when I learned about the practice, because he lived with me, and I noticed that he never said anybody's name. And I assumed at the time that, you know, he spoke English, but it really is, uh, I assumed it was Eastern European folk custom, that you don't mention a person's name without somehow covering them with a protection mantra from whatever might be around. So if you mention somebody, calling the attention of who knows what spirit's around, you have to put a protection mantra around them. And there's only two possibilities. Either may they live and be well or may they rest in peace. There's only two kinds of situations <laughs> that you can be in. But I realized in the course of the time that I live with him, he, and I don't know what he thought about why he said that. He didn't, we didn't discuss it. He just did it. And I actually thought about it years after he died, just shortly before his hundredth birthday, actually. But I thought about it, and I thought that what that did—I don't know if it—I don't know about protecting the people that he thought about. It protected him, and it protected him from his mind falling in accidentally into ill will. If you say somebody, and you immediately say a blessing on them then you can't have ill will at the same time. It's a neutralizer of ill will. And just before he died, not long before he died, he said, you know, uh, after I'm gone, there isn't going to be anybody who's going to talk bad on me. And it gave him a lot of pleasure about that. Um, And I think that's because in his life, he didn't allow himself to create enemies that he had people with difficulties, not only the wife, Ida. He would tell me stories of things that had happened to him in his lifetime and people who had not done him kindly or fairly in business or whatever. He would say, so-and-so, may they rest in peace. So-and-so, may they live and be well. It kept his mind from falling into ill will. Just kept it a news report. That's what they did, and it it wasn't comfortable. But it was a blessing after it. So this is actually, this is blessing practice. Let's read it together. And I'll stop you at a certain point. We'll read about six lines or eight lines. We'll read up to wishing in gladness and safety. Because the beginning part of it, I think, is a uh, summary of sila practice, of morality practice, of the beginning three steps of the Eightfold Path, depending on where you want to put those three steps. So let's read together again, just those lines. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So if you think about that, you went by the prayer wheel so many times this week, you saw wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood. Yeah? Three steps of the Eightfold Path. You see them in here. you know what line i like this is what should be done i just like the declarative nature of this you know i think to myself sometimes when i feel like i'm overwhelmed by the world or my life or whatever and i read this and it's such a declarative you know it doesn't say you might consider this it might be good for you it says this is what should be done i thought oh good this is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. This is the path of peace. Not only peace in one's own heart by not creating villains and victims. If you don't create a villain, you don't become a victim. Yeah, yeah, Laura. I don't understand unburdened with duties. Uh, (laughs) It's a very hard line for most of us because we are mostly burdened by duties. I actually think it means that uh in terms of uh making for oneself if one can a life that doesn't so overwhelm the mind that it can't that it, it it's, it's too fatigued to pay attention and to keep itself free of fixed views. I actually think it means that. But what I've come to uh translate it as or to try to interpret it as for, 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 for myself and for most of the people that I'm with, because we many of us have lots of duties, is to, is to think about how can I hold them so that they're not burdens? How can I do all the duties that I do and somehow find, create some lightness in that? So how can I pay attention to whether or not I'm making space for myself? How can I do my life not retire from it, because we none of us have, but um uh, I mean some people have no you know some people here have retired from a work life, but we're all doing things, and we could burden ourselves with duties at whatever stage. I think it seriously means to try to have some space in your life for you to replenish yourself um I don't know what the Buddha meant when he said it, so I'm interpreting it for myself in a contemporary way. I like to think about the fact that everybody who's come here this week has unburdened themselves of duties for a week. When I when I have some time to do retreat practice, uh, one of the things that I notice in the course of a week is, or more or less, is how the fixed views that I didn't know I was consolidating about people or events in my life modify. Did you notice that this week? That my mind becomes more forgiving of stuff, you know? It's not like I forget about it. I say, oh, okay. That's not quite so bad as I thought it was. I get a, a more spacious sense around it. And when I do, I'm less frightened by it. So I don't know, but that's what I've decided that it means. I'm very happy that it says contented. Um, I'm really interested in in talking about contentment. I like to use that often instead of happy because happy has so much of a sense often that I'm pleased with what's going on. And I I actually think... uh, For myself, it was the greatest piece of exciting news to discover that I didn't need to be pleased in order to maintain some level of contentment. This isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. Uh, I don't like it, but I can manage. And life is still good, and people are good. People are kind. some space around that. let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove you know what i think about the wise cuz you know i think of myself and uh, remember the other day i said my sen- my my experience <laughs> is that when my mind is, uh, begins to settle itself down from overwhelm or confusion one of the things that it characteristically does is provide me with a readout of what i haven't done as well as i'd like to the automatic, um, um, uh, what's it? What's it called? Uh, not screwed. Is um, There's a word for it. Uh, moral inventory. That's the word I was looking for. The automatic moral inventory. It's like pressing a key in the computer and saying, "Let me know what you know. Catch me up on what I didn't exactly do as well as I might have." So, I think about the fact that when I've got stuff to catch up with that I'm not so pleased about that it gets in the way of my feeling relaxed enough i don't in the moment that I realize I say, "Oh, I don't feel so good about myself, so I have to fix that in some way or plan to fix it or think about fixing it, or have the um the intention not to do that again, which remorse rather than guilt and and uh Really a decision to do things differently if I can, which unburdens the mind also, which I think leads to a place of feeling safe, can relax, took care of business, saw what's there there's a there's a term that the Buddha used called the bliss of blamelessness. I just like that so much, you know the the sense of um, uh, not not never making a mistake, but uh, feeling um, aware of the ways in which I maybe misstep or and uh, being able to hold that in a place of compassion. Okay, I didn't do that exactly right. That was as clearly as I saw at the time. So many times in this week people said something like, I'm trying so hard not to beat myself up about this. And I think that's so you know, that's so central to this because the understanding that I tried to have back for myself is I couldn't do it another way. Nobody could. I didn't get to tell you about Gwen's remark this week, so now it comes up in my mind. I'll tell you about Gwen's remark. Gwen's remark is part of the apocrypha as far as I can tell, of Spirit Rock. So it was something that somebody said that was really important and it happened on a Wednesday morning some years ago uh, and I was coming towards the lower meditation hall um, for that Wednesday morning group and I was hurrying because I was a little bit late and I arrived and another woman was arriving more or less just at the same time and I said hi Rose how are you and she said I'm fine and then as we were walking up the steps, she said, well, actually, I'm not fine, you know. And she named a few things that were going on in her family. I, You know, my, my son has dropped out of college, and he's come home. And my job is in jeopardy, and uh, my husband has having I've kind of a problem that he was having. So she named a few things, but she said, but I'm fine. So we went in, and we sat down, and I gave some instructions for practicing and for really being with whatever arises moment to moment and I thought about the fact that Rose's story was really um, a way of saying that your life could be complicated because everybody's life is and you could be fine with it you know. so I, when we were finished sitting with Rose's permission I told about that I said you know I was coming in and I told the story just as I just now told it to you And I said, maybe we should have like a class motto or a class saying, like secret societies have a motto that they say to each other or a secret word so that we should have a motto, I'm fine. And then if we met someone from the group, it's a fairly large group, you meet them in the supermarket or in the dentist's office or somewhere, you could say, oh, hello, I recognize you from Wednesday, how are you? And the other person would say, I'm fine and that you would know that they had a life with all kinds of stuff in it and that they were managing somehow that it would mean my life is my life but actually I know that I can manage so everybody said great idea and everybody thought it was a good story and then a woman named Gwen said I don't say I'm fine she said when anybody says to me how are you Gwen she says I tell them I couldn't be better because I couldn't (laughs) You know, no matter how I am, I couldn't be better. If I am miserable, I couldn't be better. If I could, I would. Nobody purposely stays miserable. It's a really important piece of information. So that when I find myself, you know, I say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And if I reflect on it, I think, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. But at the time that I did it, you know, I couldn't be better. My intention is, I hope, most of the time good. Your intention is most of the time good. And sometimes I don't do things as well as I'd like to. And when I don't, I couldn't be better. And having anything but a compassionate attitude towards myself, ever, not only when I couldn't do better and it wasn't so good, but even when it was great, I couldn't be better. Maybe it could have been great or. But I couldn't be better. Just the circumstances come together. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not so good. But it couldn't be better, ever. And if I remember that about myself, I hold myself in compassion more of the time. And when I remember it about anybody else, finally, I don't have to like it, but it couldn't be better. Wishing in gladness and safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. By the way, I love the poetry of that, you know, you notice those that can be seen, those that can be not seen, those already born, those yet to be. You know, I don't know about what's, what's cosmologically true, but it's such, a, it's such an inspiration about really wish it. You know, that's what we really hope for, really omitting none. Not none deceive another or despise any being in any state, Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. You know, wait, here we are. I want to talk about these lines as being the middle segment of the Eightfold Path. Right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. When you say, towards all beings, omitting none, that really means, it's a tremendous mandate injunction omitting none no matter where born unborn seen unseen and my experience is sometimes that really requires some effort and maybe and and for me not the effort to force myself to wish well but to really encourage myself to move my mind into a place where I see clearly enough that I know that other than wishing well is a cause of distress a cause of my own suffering It really is important to say that. It's not about pushing through and obligating yourself to wish everybody well, even if your mind is not in the mood to do it or able to understand doing it, and if your mind balks at doing it. For myself, the mandate is to do whatever I need to do for my mind to move into the place of knowing, A, that nobody can do better, it doesn't mean it's good. It means I should do everything to change who I can, how I can, and work for the best kind of change. It means it's just what it is because of every circumstance. No one at fault. No victims. No villains. The the the, the result of circumstances and causes. And maybe even more profoundly, it means that I will remember that if I am in a place other than wishing well, if ill will remains in my mind, then my mind is suffering. That really it is the cause of my own suffering. Because I am holding on to a fixed view that I can't let go of. And a painful view. That this all for all beings is really for me So then we come to that lovely line Even as a mother protects with her life Her child, her only child So with a boundless heart Should one cherish all living beings Radiating kindness over the entire world Spreading upwards to the skies And downwards to the depths, Outwards and unbounded Free from hatred and ill will Whether standing or walking Seated or lying down Okay, stop you remember that these are the four postures Christopher talked about them I talked about them the thing about these four postures is that they are that means all the time because that's the only way we ever are is when one of these really we might be leaning sometimes or kneeling but seriously I think what this means is all the time one should sustain this recollection there's a uh, a recitation that's part of uh, traditional metta practice that after people have begun at the beginning of a certain period of time to wish well for themselves and the benefactor and the best friend and familiar stranger and difficult person and all beings and the, the elaborated practice is all beings on all realms and people make a recitation that goes like this All beings, all living beings, all creatures, all individuals, all things in existence. All females, all males. All unenlightened beings, all enlightened beings. All angels and brahmas. All human beings. All beings in all other realms. And sometimes people do that recitation as just their whole practice. They just say that to themselves over and over again. <clears throat> and with the intention to wish well and saying the names of this particular typology over and over again. And something about the recitation and the vastness of all beings of all re- and all realms really transforms the mind and the mind relaxes there's some great feeling of expansiveness I have just blessed the entire of everything on all realms free from drowsiness I like to say think that that means uh, that doing that wakes you up that's not an instruction be free from drowsiness as so much as This is what wakes up the mind. This awakens the mind. Free from drowsiness, free from confusion, free from sleepiness. One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, people mentioned this before, I like this person, I don't like this person. Usually we have a view crystallized around one story about the person. And when the mind is relaxed, it's able to say, this story is true, but there are other stories about this person as well. And the one story that's true about every person is they're a person who's, whatever they're doing, it's the best they can. They couldn't do better could be very unfortunate what they're doing. And some people cause a lot of harm and pain in the world. But there's a way in which when the mind holds them, as a human being, the Dalai Lama is fond of saying, all beings want to be happy. And whatever they're doing, it's an attempt to be happy. And sometimes it's a really maladaptive attempt to be happy. But if you, when I can see that about people who frighten me, I don't like them. But my mind at that point is freed of ill will and I am unburdened of ill will. And I can do everything I can to... It's not a, it's not a passive view. It's not a view that doesn't take steps in the world, doesn't get involved in addressing Difficult people in difficult situations. But without burdening myself with ill will. The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision. Being freed from all sense desires. I'd like to interpret that for myself um, as meaning... (coughs) in any particular moment not held captive by a sense desire I don't know about the end of sense desires so I really will interpret that as um, not held in the thrall of the imperative to have things different which confuses the mind is not born again into this world and I'll interpret that for myself as not reborn moment to moment into suffering. I'm not sure about literal rebirth. I don't know. But I know that I am reborn into suffering many times a day, each time that I identify with liking or not liking and the imperative to have something different from how it is. And I am free from suffering. That many times that I recognize it, I get stuck. And then I get out, and I get stuck, and I get out. So the last lines of this, the middle lines, I think, parallel the middle part of the Eightfold Path needs right effort, wise effort, to really notice that my mind has ill will in it and decide not to have it. Wise effort, the Buddha said, was the effort to notice what was in the mind and if what was in the mind was wholesome, to maintain it and cultivate it and if it wasn't, to put it out and if there wasn't wholesome in the mind to cultivate it and if it was, to keep it in. It's very clear about wise effort. Wise mindfulness is part of the middle part of this sutta, I think, because I need to be paying attention to how am I feeling about people. What is my intention in this moment? Am I wishing with whole heart in all these... Can I wish boundlessly? What comes up for me as bars to my wishing boundlessly? Wise concentration in... in in these instructions, is sustaining this recollection. Somebody said that. That's the important line. Again and again and again. So the middle section, I think, parallels the section of the Eightfold Path that uh, really is mind discipline, mental discipline. And the last lines, I think, parallel the part of the Path that talks about wisdom. We are reborn into suffering when the mind is unable to say, this is how it is, and, able not, and, and whether I wanted it or I didn't want it, that the imperative in my mind to have things different is what causes suffering. The ability in my mind to say, it's like this. And now what will I do? It's like this. What can I do? What's the compassionate response to it? I think it's always... Com- the, the end of suffering always comes out to be the compassionate response what's the compassionate response can I see clearly enough to make a compassionate response can I respond to myself with compassion to another person with compassion to the world and everyone in it with compassion to the pain in it with compassion actually truth to tell uh, even though we uh, often teach metta practice, starting with metta and friendliness practice, and then teach compassion as a derivative of it, and as Christopher pointed out, the derivative of a friendly mind meeting a difficult circumstance, there's a way in which sometimes when I, I think about the, the truth of the first noble truth about life itself being a difficult circumstance. I think maybe we should call it compassion practice, that it's a, a, a mind resolutely uh, dedicated to compassionate response out of the deep understanding that life is as difficult as it is. And that connecting in care me anyway. A race is being isolated and connects me in a way that sustains me. So thank you very much. Let's just sit for a minute. This talk was given by Sylvia Birsten at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on August 25, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.